Hey, good afternoon. Is it still good afternoon? I'm not actually sure where it cuts off from the afternoon and goes into evening. Do they both work at this at that 518? Can I say good afternoon and good evening? Not good morning, though. Good afternoon and good evening. How's everybody? Man, I'm so excited I can hardly stand it. Hey, um, so a couple things. First, you know, when, when, when Christ uh, died on the cross and rose again, you know, there was the temple veil that was tore uh, in two, split apart, so that we can have access and be present with the Almighty God. I, and I don't know, sometimes we lose sight of that. It's like sometimes we forget that we are in the presence of the Almighty. We're not, we're not just in a building with some screens and some chairs and we're going to go through a book. We are in the presence of an almighty God, and if that doesn't cause you at times to be a little weak in the knees, to cause you to lose your breath, and just say, are you you kidding me? Like, Christ did that for us. We are in the presence of an almighty God. He invites us into his presence. That's what this is about. Amen? Amen. Yeah, amen. Um, A couple things. Uh, Well, so... We have a slide, right? Pastor Chris and Renee are going to be here this uh, next weekend, this weekend, I don't know how to say that, next weekend, our church plant pastor from Heath, Texas, so they're going to be flying in on Friday. He will be preaching on Saturday and uh, both services on Sunday. Um, So before you (laughs) applaud, that means not only will Pastor Chris be preaching on Saturday and Sunday of next week, it means that I won't be preaching next Saturday and Sunday. So now we can applaud, okay? So that way, I don't know if you're applauding for him or against me. I'm totally down with it either way. My feelings won't be hurt that way. It's good to be with you guys. Um, thank you so much for being here. We are in the book of Esther. I, I just love God's word, man, but I love this story. I hope you're enjoying it. We are in Esther chapter 4. We read out of the New American Standard Bible. That's what we read from and preach from. So if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. If you need a New American Standard Bible for home, uh, please feel free to take that with you. It's good to be with everybody. God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. A number of years ago, a, uh, in the state of Texas, ironically, a pilot left the motor running on a plane, and somehow this plane engaged itself and, without a pilot, took off. Sounds like one of my kids. It was flying on its own and stayed in the air for over 90 minutes. Then... The inevitable happened. (laughs) It ran out of gas, crashed, and was totally destroyed. For a while, church people, you can fly on your own. For a while, you can take off and be somebody. For a while, you can act, live, and live like God does not exist. For a while, you can play a little religion, but not be serious about subordinating your life to the Almighty God. And for a while, (laughs) you can fly. I know that there are atheists and the like, and they look like they are flying. I know sometimes you look at evil people and you say, how come they can be so evil and can fly so high? I know sometimes you are jealous when you look at people who have no respect for deity, for God, and seem to be flying high. Keep watching, because sooner or later they will run out of gas, crash, and be destroyed. 
When you fly your life without God in the pilot seat of your life, that's what happens. That's why God's word says not to be envious of evildoers, as it says in Psalm 37, verse 1. Just because they are making money and getting ahead by doing wrong, don't become jealous or envious of them. One can fly high on their own for a while, but there will come a point when they will run out of gas and will discover in an abrupt way that there is a God who is Lord over the universe. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Righteous are you. This is Jeremiah the weeping prophet wondering why the Lord, or wondering to the Lord this question. He says, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Why do I share this? Because that's where we're at in the book of Esther when we close chapter 3. Look at the very last verse of chapter 3. What's happening in verse 15 of chapter 3 of the book of Esther? A decree has been declared throughout the entire empire, the entire Persian empire, 127 provinces, to wipe out every single Jewish person. About 15 million Jews are about to be killed about 11 months later is when the decree would be executed. In one day, all of them were to be wiped out. And in verse 15, Haman and Ahasuerus are having cocktails after the decree was made. That's why Jeremiah asked the question that he asked. Let's read Esther 4. Esther chapter 4, 17 verses. You ready, church? Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city, and he wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate. That's as far as he can go, for no one was to enter through the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province, 127 provinces, where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews." With fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. And then Esther, the queen, Mordecai's cousin, Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her. And the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove his sackcloth from him, so that she can talk to him inside the palace or wherever she was staying, right? But he did not accept them. And so then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend to her as queen, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. And so Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money, which from last chapter was 10,000 talents of silver, which is about five to six billion dollars in today's currency. And the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries to kill all the Jews. He also gave him, gave Hathak, a a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa, the capital, for the destruction of all the Jews throughout the empire, that he might show Esther and inform her. 
and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther, his cousin, Mordecai's cousin. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him, poor Hathak, to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man, so this is Esther's reply, for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who's not summoned by the king, he has but one law, and that's this, that he or she be put to death unless the king holds out to him or her the golden scepter so that he may live. And I haven't even talked to him or been summoned by the king for 30 days, for the last 30 days. And so they related Esther's words to Mordecai. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not imagine, Mordecai says, that you in the king's palace can escape any more than the rest of us. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Gosh, do we live like that? And you and your father's house will perish, he says to his cousin. And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, <clears throat> Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to law. And if I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Church, what's happening here is certain death was unavoidable. That's what's going on right now. Certain death for all the Jewish people was unavoidable. Unless or except somebody comes and delivers and liberates the Jewish people. Everybody's going to die unless somebody comes and delivers and liberates the Jewish people. What does that remind you of? You see in Esther the whole gospel story. Everybody's going to be wiped out unless somebody liberates them. The prideful mistake of one man. Who was that man that made that prideful mistake last chapter? Mordecai. Mordecai was being prideful. We, we talked about Mordecai was being a punk. I think I said that here. It might have been the 9 o'clock. The prideful mistake of one man, Mordecai, would wipe out an entire nation. Unless. Unless. Unless there was a deliverer and a liberator. The sin of one man wipes all of us out unless there was a deliverer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for this book of Esther that just reminds us that you are in control and that you liberate us because of the sin that is inherent within us. Because the sin of one man, Adam, we are born into the sinful nature. And through the story of Esther, you show us how you liberate us and you can deliver us. And for that, we say thank you. Almighty God, we just pray that you have your way with us this evening. Continue to mold us and shape us. Thank you so much for your grace as you do so. You're so good to us, Lord. You are long-suffering as we continue to mature in Christ. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Don't give up on us. We're grateful that you won't. 
And oh, I just pray that we don't, we don't give up on you. That our eyes would be continually fixed upon you. For where else can we go, Lord, for you have the words of eternal life. We love you, we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. amen. So I'm, we're just going to do this every week because I just think it's important. I thought it was brilliant for Pastor Dave to do this when we started the book. But here's the theme of Esther. It's always good to remind ourselves of this, right? So Pastor Dave had the theme for Esther. I think we have a slide for that, yeah? Yes, thank you. God's faithfulness. That's the theme of Esther. God's faithful. God is faithful. It's so good to be reminded of that continually. The purpose of Esther is to demonstrate God's sovereignty, sovereignty in all circumstances. God is sovereign in everything. I mentioned a verse maybe last week, it might have been the week before, Job 42.2, if you remember this, where Job says, and Job went through a lot, he says, I know that you, Lord, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It's just a great reminder for us. Sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we, church? And then the plot of Esther is that God takes a, a young orphan girl and causes her to become queen of the Persian Empire in order to save the Jewish people from being destroyed. And then, of course, my, one of my favorite quotes in my entire Christian walk, also from Pastor Dave, is when he said, when he opened up the book of Esther, my dear brothers and sisters, we have a decision to make. Let's not read the book of Esther and think, wow, the Lord sure knew what he was doing in Esther's life. Instead, let's read this book together and realize that the Lord knows exactly what he is doing in your life and in my life. Let's decide, let's decide that we are going to trust him completely in every situation. That's hard. It's hard. It's just hard. But the Lord in his grace and his mercy gives us stories like this to remind us that he can be trusted all the time. Amen? I think last week I had this quote by um, Dr. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, denomination. He said, God is preparing his heroes. <clears throat> and when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment. And the world will wonder where they came from. <laughs> God's preparing you. He's preparing every one of us for something. And when that moment comes, somebody's going to wonder where you came from. And they're going to be so grateful for you as you continue to settle in as a follower of Jesus Christ. God wants to use. We're the body of Christ. And a body has all these different parts. Every one of us is important to the Lord. And then we also talked about how God is in control. When? All day, every day. God is in control when? All day, every day. Teach that to your children. Remind your spouse. Remind your friends. God is in control all day, every day. Here's our outline for our 17 verses. The first three verses, Mordecai is mortified. And so he tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he's weeping. Because I think he realizes, if I understand the text, that he's just put 15 million of his brothers and sisters, Jewish people, in jeopardy. Not just in jeopardy, they're about to be killed. In one day, they're all going to be wiped out. And so he's mortified, and so he tears his clothes in repentance and humiliation and guilt. And then Esther gets an explanation. She's Esther, the queen, she has no idea what's going on. She's like, what's going on with Mordecai, man? Like, why is he dressed like that? Right? Give him some clothes. And so... Esther gets an explanation, and then Esther gives an explanation to Mordecai saying, I can't help you. 
There's, there's, there's some rules about going to the king, and I can't break those rules. If he doesn't summon me, I can't do anything to, about it. I can't help you. So she gets an explanation, and then she turns right around to Mordecai and says, yeah, I can't help you. That's what she says. And then Mordecai, Mordecai gives her some motivation and says, hey, don't think that you're going to escape just because you're in the palace. You're also a Jew. You too will die. So that's our four stanzas, our outline for Esther chapter 4. Gosh, this is fun. So, our first stanza, let's reread verses 1, 2, and 3 of Esther chapter 4. Verses 1, 2, and 3. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. 127 provinces, everybody's mourning. With fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. What a bleak picture. It's terrible. There's a statement that many of us have heard of, perhaps we don't know where it's from, but it's from the 1700s British politician Edmund Burke. And he says this, and it certainly applies here. All that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So a decree's made, and we talked about last week how it's a bulletproof decree. It's bulletproof. There's nothing that these people can do. And so the Jews should just say, well, we got 11 months to live. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for in 11 months we will die. But that's not what they do. What do they do? They fast and they pray and they beseech the God of heaven and earth for mercy and for grace. These verses, verses 1, 2, and 3, paint a great picture for the church. We see two entities acting. In verses 1, 2, and 3, we see two things or two entities acting the exact same way. Look at verses 1 and 2. Mordecai, what did he do? He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he wailed loudly and bitterly. And he was clothed in sackcloth near to the king's gate. So he's, re he's repenting. He's seeking God. He's mourning. He's grieving. And then in verse 3, so that's Mordecai. That's one person. And then that's compared to verse 3. In each and every province... So you have one person doing one thing, and then you have 127 provinces worth of Jews doing the exact same thing. The decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. What a great picture. What does that mean? That you should have moments where you personally are in that place and where you are collectively in that place. And I think it's a lost art. I don't think we weep and mourn over stuff, either individually or collectively. And yet it's what we're called to. It's what's modeled for us. How do we handle a crisis? How do we handle... This is a crisis of epic proportion. And if you saw the, the sermon title, it was Freaking or Fasting. Are we freaking out? Are we fasting? Are we going to freak out or are we going to fast? Do we panic or do we pray? When the crisis hits your life, how do you respond? Do you freak out or do you fast and pray and seek God? When Mordecai tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes, 
he was expressing his grief, his guilt. He's the one that put the entire nation in jeopardy. So he's expressing his grief, his guilt, his repentance, and his humiliation. No doubt for his sin as well as the judgment of 15 million Jews because of his pride. The ashes, which represent, if you don't know this, they represent uh, insignificance and worthlessness. That's what ashes represent. Insignificance and worthlessness. How often do we recognize that about ourselves before an almighty God? Our own insignificance and our own worthlessness. The ashes, which represent insignificance and worthlessness, help to remind us of what is so easy to forget. And that is this, that the Lord is the one with all the worth and all the significance. That's what Mordecai understands We're insignificant, we're worthless, but God is so worth and so significant. And so that's where he puts all his attention by putting on the ash. And so perhaps the the value of crises, calamities, catastrophes is twofold. Perhaps, one, they become the arena in which our Lord works. (laughs) That becomes the arena in which God works. And then we praise him for it. And then two, they remind us of just how worthy and significant God is when crisis hit us. So, so far in these first four chapters of Esther, this is what's happened. (laughs) If you've been with us for the four chapters, you have Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus, you have Haman, his right-hand man, and Mordecai. So far, all three of them are doing nothing but making emotional decisions. That's what they've done. Ahasuerus is making emotional decisions. Haman's making emotional decisions. And Mordecai makes an emotional decision by not paying respect to Haman at the king's gate. And when we make emotional decisions, that's never a good thing. It's why we got to be grounded in truth so that our emotions don't get the best of us. And so when we make decisions based out of emotion, it's just a matter of time before remorse sets in for the decisions we make out of emotion rather than the truth that sets us free. For example, not turning to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, not turning to Jesus, what's that about? Well, let me tell you what the emotion is there, right? That's an emotional decision. When you don't turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the emotion is this, is that you love your sin, you love your independence, you love controlling your own life, you're in love with that. That's what the emotion is. You don't want to be submissive to somebody else, you want to be submissive to yourself, that will ultimately lead to remorse someday. It will. Jesus says as much. Check out Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. Jesus said, (laughs) this is crazy, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Hmm. And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who do what? You who practice lawlessness, people who live and practice sinful lives, rebellious lives. God might 
use them in some crazy way. They might do things in the Lord's name, but they're practicing lawlessness. They're not walking according to the truth of God's word, even though God might actually use them in some crazy way. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're practicing. You're, you're in love with your own sin. You're in love with your own control. I will take a, second seat, a back seat to nobody, God says. Lastly, check out this amazing contrast. Look in verse 2. Verse 2 says that Mordecai went as far as the king's gate. Why? No one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Well, apparently the king's gate has a dress code. And there's no sackcloth. Right? Like, yeah, anyway. There's just certain restaurants I just can't go to because I just don't have a lot of nice clothes. And if I did, which I do, I just don't want to go there. I don't even know what that means. I'm just being an idiot. So, okay, so he can't go in. So check this out. The king's gate was as far as, as far as Mordecai can go because oriental kings lived in an artificial paradise that sheltered them from the realities of life. I don't want to know about that stuff. I'm the king. That was a reality. That's how oriental kings wanted to live. Keep me away from that stuff. Scottish preacher George Morrison says this. Listen, he says, They, these kings, must have a good time at any cost. They must live their easy and comfortable lives as if there were no voices calling them. Mordecai's out there, and the king doesn't want to have anything to do with Mordecai's plea. Stay away. I don't want to hear your voice. How opposite from our priestly king in heaven who welcomes us to bring our burdens and our sorrows to him. Is that an amazing contrast? Ahasuerus is saying, don't even, I don't even want you in here. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear your negative stuff. I don't want to hear your whining and complaining. And our God says, bring it on. Bring it on. That, te- that, that temple veil was torn too. Come on in. I want to hear everything from you. Ah, oh, how cool is that? Our second stanza, Esther gets an explanation. Let's read verses four through eight. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and they told her and the queen writhed in great anguish and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth, but he didn't accept them. And then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. She wants to get to the truth, what's really going on. And so Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him, what did he tell him? Not some of what happened. He told him all that had happened to him. And the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show Esther and inform her. And he ordered her to go into the king to implore the king's favor and to plead with him for her people. So what's kind of crazy, these five verses, four through eight... This stanza that we're on right now shows all the pieces of this puzzle that we call Esther comes together in these five verses. Esther's in place. There's going to be all P words. You're going to love this. This is just the way I'm wired, right? Esther is in place. She's queen. Mordecai creates a problem. Esther's in place. Mordecai creates a problem. Haman wants to purge. 
and the Hazarus needs to be pleaded. That's it. Everything. And this is all the stories coming together in these five verses. Esther's in place. Mordecai creates a problem. Haman wants to purge. And the king, Ahasuerus, needs to be pleaded by Esther to beg for her people. So, let's point out a few things here. These verses show us a helper. Who's the helper in these verses? And the person who's asking for help. Who's the helper? Esther, right? Who's the person asking for help? Mordecai. Okay. Esther the helper. Verse 5 shows us at the end to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Verse 5 shows us that Esther wanted to learn what this was and why it was. The truth. If you really want to help somebody, you got to know how to help. Our ability to truly come alongside others is dependent upon our willingness and our ability to learn the what and the why of the dilemma. Okay? Mordecai is the one needing help in this scenario. Verse 7 shows us that Mordecai, how did he respond? Mordecai told him all that had happened. That means he left nothing out. And the exact amount of money. So Mordecai, so she's saying, what's going on? And he tells her what's going on. Okay, now we have something that can actually work, right? Sometimes we want help, but we say this, but we really mean that, and then things don't happen because we're afraid to be honest about certain things. We hide certain things. We don't really want help. We want to maybe continue to protect our image or live in our sin or whatever, right? So our willingness and ability... So this is now Haman, or Mordecai, right? Our willingness and our ability to articulate, as it says here, all, all, and to articulate exactly is essential when we are seeking help. Okay? So verse 8, now we're going to keep going here, right? Verse 8, she goes to plead to the king. Go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Okay, that that Mordecai is directing Esther to go into the king to implore his favor and plead with him for her people. So here's putting it all together. (laughs) Pleading with our king and imploring his favor requires that we are honest and exact about our stuff. We implore God, we want his favor, but we don't get honest with God. And so Esther's saying, dude, what's going on? What's the what and the why? What and why? What's happening? And then he tells her all, and he tells her exactly, so that she can plead with the king. And I just think there's such a perfect corollary for us. We plead and we want to implore our king, our heavenly father, but we don't be honest with him. That's what Scripture is for. It allows us to look at ourselves and go, wow, God, I confess. That's what it means to confess. It means to acknowledge and to be exact about what's going on in your life. That's why confession is so important. God, I'm sorry. I failed in this way. I fell short in this way. Lord, help me here. Strengthen me in that. Right? I just think it's a great picture for us. We're going to implore the king and plead with the king, man. We got to be honest with the king about our stuff the good, the bad, and everything in between so that he can help us. That's what it means to confess. That's why we have to be in the word. That's why we got to be in prayer. That's why we got to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. 
and to lead us into truth. That's why we need one another. Because people see things in us that we don't see in ourselves and just say, man, I love you, but that's kind of ugly. Let's talk about that. Our third stanza, Esther gives an explanation. Let's read verses 9 through 12. Esther gives an explanation. Hathik, Hathik's just got to be tired by now, right? So he comes back and he related Mordecai's words to Esther. And then Esther spoke to Hathik and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. And she says, here's what I want you to say. All the king's servants, okay, right? All the king's servants, not most of them, all of them. And the people, that means all the people of the king's provinces, they know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, who is not summoned by the king, there's but one law, and that person is to be put to death, unless the king holds out to that person the golden scepter so that he may live. Just so you know, it's totally the same in my office. If you come and knock my office, if I don't hold out, no, seriously, just kidding. It's silver. Thank you. You got that. That's great, Michael. We're like this, you and I. Uh, okay, so unless the king holds out the golden scepters that he may live, and I have not even been summoned. It's been 30 days since I last saw the king. And so they related Esther's words to Mordecai. So here we see, remember last week there was a bulletproof plan? We talked about the bulletproof plan. Here's another one. This is now another. There's now two bulletproof plans in place. Oh my goodness, what's God going to do? God must be sweating bullets. Here's the other bulletproof plan. Look at the three components of verse 11. Okay, verse 11. All the king's servants and all blah, blah. Okay, so here's it. That they know that for any man or woman who comes to the king who is not summoned, they're going to be put to death. That's the first part of the bulletproof plan. Everybody knows this. That's what it says, right? So nothing I can do. I'll be killed. The second part is the king has to hold out the, the, the golden scepter, okay? And then the third part is, I haven't even seen him in 30 days. That's what she says to Mordecai. We're in trouble. That's the bulletproof plan. Furthermore, check out the beginning of verse 11. Those two words that I kind of hit on when I read it. All and no. All the king's servants and all the people of the 127 provinces, which is about 50 million people. Everybody who serves the king and everybody who lives in the king's empire, they know that this is how it is. There's nothing Mordecai I can do for you or for our people. That's a bulletproof plan. Second bulletproof plan in back-to-back -back chapters. Hmm. Look. <laughs> we are often faced with situations that are or seem hopeless. And that's what we're presented with in chapter 3, and it's what we're presented with in chapter 4, right? We're presented with situations here that seem hopeless. And I just love that that's added in here. Because if all know, if everybody knows, if all the king's servants, it's all the king's servants and all the king's men, is that Humpty Dumpty? If all the king's servants and all the people in the provinces, that's what that verse says. If they all know this is a bulletproof plan, then when it doesn't work, who gets the glory? God! That's what he wants us to know. You all know that there's a bulletproof plan in place. So when it doesn't go according to that bulletproof plan, the only place we can look to is up. That God, he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? 
Church, <laughs> my brothers and sisters, our God is awesome. And he wants us to turn to him in every seemingly hopeless situation, even or especially when everybody knows there is no way out. All know that this is a bulletproof plan. There's nothing the queen can do. That's when he wants us to turn to him. The Lord wants for us to realize <laughs> that he works how he works, not as the world works. When everybody knows there's a bulletproof plan, the only thing we conclude is God's saying, hey, I work how I work. I don't work how the world works. Yes, Lord. That's why when I'm in the presence of God, my knees shake and I just want to drop and bow and worship and I'm just amazed that God would allow me to be in his presence. Our last stanza, our fourth stanza, verses 13 through 17. Let's read those, church. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, <laughs> hey, Esther, don't even imagine don't imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than the rest of us. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. It's not clear why. What that really means is that that might just be Mordecai just saying, hey, the Lord, why would the Lord spare you if you're not trusting him? Anyway, you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. He's just reminding Esther, like, look what all God's done to place you in this position. Maybe that's why God's been doing it. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, Mordecai, assemble all the Jews who are found in the capital of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, right? It's not according to their bulletproof plan. And if I perish, I will perish. And so Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Mordecai gives Esther a wake-up call. He says in, where am I at, verse 13? Yeah, he says... Tell Esther, don't imagine that you're going to escape any more than the rest of us. Like, wake up, girl. He gives her a wake-up call. Verse 14, he says, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. See, the Lord knows, the Lord knows his reason or reasons for why you and I have attained anything. He knows his reasons for what and how or anything that you and I have attained. Do we submit what we have attained, which is what he's allowed us to attain? You get that, right? Do we submit what we have attained to the one who allows us to attain it? Or does it somehow become ours? Clearly, the Lord placed Esther as queen for a reason. Clearly. But the Lord, listen, <laughs> do you think the Lord is depending on Esther? <laughs> right? Like, oh man, like God's up there with all of his, like, you know, counsel going, I hope she doesn't blow it. Like, we've, we've got everything positioned like a chess match. I hope she makes the right move. Like, man, if she, Esther doesn't come through, we don't have a backup plan. 
The Lord's not dependent on Esther. The Lord's not depending on Esther. He wants Esther to what? To depend on Him. To depend on Him. Look at verse 14, the first part of 14. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Go to James chapter 4. Go to James chapter 4. It's after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews, James chapter 4. Verses 13 through 16. James writes, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. And he's writing to church, church folk, right? Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It's up to him. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And that's what Mordecai is trying to say to Esther. Hey, look, this isn't about you being queen. It's got nothing to do with you. And so he recalibrates Esther. Let's reread. Go back to Esther chapter 4 as we wind this down. Let's reread verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. Here we are given another example of how the, the sin, Haman's pride, or Mordecai's pride, how the sin of one affects all of us. No matter how favorable things are. That's what that verse is telling us. When, he's, when Mordecai's, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, don't imagine. So this is the gospel message. Don't imagine that you in the king's palace, no matter how much favor your life has, don't think that you'll escape unless you give your life to Jesus Christ. Don't even imagine. Romans 5, 18, 19 says this. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. We, just, we see in the book of Esther the gospel message for all of mankind. Just like through one transgression of Mordecai, everybody was in trouble. Everybody's lives were in jeopardy. So Paul writes to the church at Rome, just through one transgression, through Adam and Eve, Adam, there resulted condemnation to all of us. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. This is what's happening in the book of Esther. It's just another picture of all of us being in trouble because of the sin of one person and all of us being out of trouble if we would confess our sins and look to the one person, the person of Jesus Christ. Such a great picture. So, in closing, as this chapter 4 closes... It's safe to say that things are in chaos. Things are in chaos. 
They're all about to die, and people are fasting and praying, and Hathak's going back and forth between Mordecai and Esther. Esther doesn't even know what's going on. People are confused at the end of chapter 3 in the city. But in the midst of the chaos, the chapter concludes the same way that it began. It concludes the same way it began. People are praying, people are fasting, and they're united in one voice, all focused on the Almighty God. Is that fantastic? One commentary says this, and I'll close with this quote. Prayer is one of the chief instruments God uses to change history. Hasn't changed yet. We're only in chapter 4. We're left in this chaotic situation. What's going on? Everybody's about to die. But chapter 4 starts and ends the same way, and that is Mordecai and every Jew and every province is fasting and praying and seeking the heart of God. Because prayer is one of the chief instruments God uses to change history. Isn't that cool? Love it. Chris, why don't you work your way up? I'm going to pray for us as we close our time. Chris is going to close this in song. If you need prayer, our prayer team's available down here to my left. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, gosh, Lord, we're just amazed by you. You don't depend on us. You, you use us. You, will, you allow us to be used by you in spite of all of our brokenness, in spite of all of our weaknesses, and in spite of all the ways that we turn our backs on you and against you, you use us. But you do that so that we will depend on you. Not so you depend on us, but we depend on you. And you do amazing things when we humbly allow ourselves to depend on you and just say, Lord, here I am. Use me. This broken, empty vessel. Lord, thank you for Esther chapter 4. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the reminder that you are a God who is in control all day, every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.